millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we have a just an awesome privilege this week of having Gary Witherall with us. Gary has worked almost 30 years with OM, Operation Mobilization. He is also the husband of Bonnie Witherall, who was martyred in Lebanon in 2002. We're going to talk about that story. He is serving the Lord in Germany, and we'll talk a little bit about what he's doing now. Gary, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Let's let's go back in time and talk about God calling you to go to Lebanon. Uh, how did that happen? How did it happen for you and Bonnie? Uh, were you in agreement about it, or, or did you kind of wonder one or the other? Yeah, I, I generally like fun in life, you know, and I <laughs> want to do something fun. And I knew all the Middle East was really tense at that time, and not much interest at all to go. And actually, I was looking to go to another field with OM. At that time, I wrote a kind of like, not a complaining email, but kind of an email going, ah, what's God doing with my life? To one of my mentors, you know, and they wrote back this email and it was, go to the Middle East and eat sand. And what he was saying, he was Canadian. He was saying, go eat humble pie, humble yourself. Who do you think you are? You know, you sound arrogant, you know, humble yourself. Like now you're like some somebody that's going to help, you know. And I and that was a really great message for me, you know, the idea of to lay down your life. It starts in that place, humility, you know, where you're not like hip to anybody. Your local church, not hip to the people you want to share the gospel to. Uh, you're just not hip. And I think that's a journey for people to take. But when that email came through, my heart jumped. And it was really strange because I had no intention of going to Middle East. <laughs> no intention at all, you know. You didn't like sand. You didn't want to eat sand. No, you know, I, you know, I was in India. I loved India. I, was, I traveled around Africa. I loved Africa. And, uh, and, but when I read that email, then I just knew that I, I don't understand this. This is a mystery, isn't it? But that God called me through that. And then uh, Bonnie had read the email, and she, we didn't talk for two days on it. Uh, because she knew that if I said no, it would kind of mess it up, and vice versa. So we were both afraid of us messing it up, and then we, after a couple of days, said, hey, have you read that? Yeah, I read it. What did you think? She goes, well, I just think this is what we need to be doing. And in my heart, I was so pleased that we both got it. You know, we right. both were both feet in, and, uh, and that's how it started. You had already been involved in gospel work. Like you said, you'd been to India, you'd been to other places. How was working among Muslims, how did that compare with working among, say, Hindus in India or unbelievers on the streets of Europe? How was it different? Was it more challenging? Yeah, and I have to say this. It's like after being and living there— I, and I genuinely say this, I, I see humanity first. So I don't ever really see them, define them as, say, Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist or even any 
I think that when you really love a person, like, you know, they could be anything. You know, there mm-hmm. all this list of p- things that now in modern culture will say, this is how I'm defined. But I think that Christ looked at a person and looked at their humanity at whatever situation they're in and uh, and addressed them in their brokenness. And I, and I think that that's where the gospel is. And that's actually how I – and I think being colorblind to religion – Mm-hmm. It's just a fantastic way to approach it. So actually, I don't really necessarily. I, I think we we waste a lot of energy looking at religion on how to approach someone at their instead region. of talking about people. How do we well, reach people? Let's have a look. If we would have a conversation and describe it like visiting somebody's house and knocking at the front door and and coming around the side and and swinging open the, the little screen door and and yelling through the door and saying hey. And they're sitting down for coffee. Like there are two different ways to uh-huh. approach a conversation or to re- approach a person, you know. And and, um, and I think um, the, the Arab people are highly intimate, highly friendly, highly relational, all about family, love kids, celebrate all the time. I mean, we have such a perverse understanding of who they are. Yes. And, uh, and the heritage is so rich, it goes way beyond uh, European history. So the legacy, the history, the culture, the food is amazing. amazing. You know? <laughs> so then you, entering into the humanity, I, anyway, there you go. Give me a picture of Bonnie. Uh, I think, you know, we hear about someone who was martyred for their faith and we tend to elevate them up on a platform. Share with me what she was really like. When I met Bonnie, and I actually felt she was holy, you know. If I go near her, it's going to mess it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I really wanted – like she was beautiful and really loved the Lord, pretty strong in her faith, pretty serious. And um, we're both about to graduate from Moody, you know. So, And the, the thing is is that she really felt strongly towards me, but I didn't know it. And uh, um, she was a lot of fun to be with. She was quite like – bold in her fun you know, like uh one day it was raining in chicago it's one of my good memories raining in the summer you know summer rain in chicago it's kind of warm rain actually very thick heavy rain and uh, she ran out into the middle of the street there in downtown chicago and started dancing she was wearing a black dress very beautiful and it was a fun moment and uh and i said what are you doing you know and she was like i'm just happy i'm celebrating life you know we entered into marriage already focused on giving our lives for the gospel. Mm-hmm. That That's kind of uh, how we entered into our relationship. So a lot of people, they fall in love, and, and then somewhere down the road they get a mission call. You know what I mean? We were already preemptive. You both brought your own mission calls into the into the marriage, right. really. Yeah, and, and uh, so there's a kind of a different dynamic. And uh, so maybe we were a little bit further down the road, I think. So— Gary, God called you and Bonnie to the Middle East. You end up in Lebanon serving the Lord there in the city of Sidon. What was an average day? What did your ministry look like? There probably wasn't an average day. (laughs) I mean, it's just like everything was different all the time because of politics, because of the routine of trying to pay your phone bill. I mean, that was a a test, you know, and um, I, I loved it. We both loved it. It became my home. I mean, I really felt at home there and people loved us being there. Mm-hmm. It was like it wasn't a place where 
no one liked. I mean, the neighbors. I mean, we we would hang out with people all the time, and everybody wanted to just hang out with us. So right down in the center of town was a Bible Society bookshop, and it was a a big oval table where about you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen could sit around, and uh, talking about scripture in that environment. I mean, we, we would have a sheikh come in pretty regularly, who's a sheikh from a local mosque. I mean, he's teaching in the mosque. Mm-hmm. But he would come and just sit, and, and we would talk about psalms. I mean, he actually loved the psalms. Uh-huh. He loved the psalms. And he wants to just know what we think and want to talk. And it's actually almost like a Bible sh- bookshop is almost like having a ESPN room where guys could just talk football, you know? And you're like, oh, that's easy, right? And I think in that environment, in that culture, people love to talk about God. So it's not like deviant. And I and I think some of the things I, I get agitated about is if you're a follower of Christ to like somehow sneak around, you know? I, I think that, no, we, uh, we need to be bold in who we are and, and joyful in that. And I think actually people of other faiths respect that and, and it seems maybe postmodernism has led us towards it you know uh, our own insecurity if we yeah. say oh we follow jesus it's somehow weird you know but i think you know in that culture i i felt loved and 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 it became our home we were going to live it 10 years that was our initial commitment mm-hmm. and then um uh, have fantastic conversations. I mean, really profound, not only just addressing political times, but also understanding the heritage and history of our different faiths. And um, so that was my typical day. And then I'll come home and in Arabic intensive. I mean, when we talk about intensive, it's like wake up, you go to sleep and just memorizing. And uh, out of passion, uh, language acquisitions. It's quite amazing, uh, as opposed to having to learn it. And uh, and and Bonnie was off working in this prenatal clinic, and and man, she loved these women. I mean, they loved her. She would visit people all the time. Now, was primarily was that Lebanese women, or that was refugees? Um, Palestinian refugees. Okay. There's a Palestinian camp there in 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 uh, in Sidon, and and it's called Ein Helway which actually was Christian landed, and it was given when the Palestinians came out of Israel. There were several camps uh, in Beirut, up in Tripoli in the north, in Tyre and Sidon. And they came when Israel formed as a nation. Mm -hmm. They were told to leave. They were told to leave by, I think it was the Arab League of Nations. They said, we were going to go in and destroy Israel. And, And that happened then. And they came with their suitcases and their keys, and then they ended up in these camps with tents, you know, and uh, those tents became buildings. They were never allowed back, and the Lebanese have not ever given them a passport. So they, they've not, they've not become part of They're the Lebanese people way. without a country. People without a country, and and so they don't have proper jobs, don't have proper money, don't have proper health care, and they long for their return. You know, for the, so to understand their frustration go hang out in the refugee camp. And it's pretty dangerous. If you were to tell me I'm going to go wander through that camp, I would just say probably, you know, uh, you wouldn't do, do Maybe that. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe unwise. But, but these women um, had no health care, and, and the church was providing a phenomenal ministry, almost free. Like you pay a little bit, but in their within their uh, economy. Within their ability. Yeah, yeah, within their ability, because it's kind of a dignity thing, you mm-hmm. know? And then um, and they provided everything from, you know, prenatal care to the first year through your child. 
and I'm sure somebody here who's on the f- listening would know what that means. Right. I mean, it's a it's a very in depth, a broad field. Yeah, uh, and that was what Bonnie did. So, Gary, you and Bonnie were in Lebanon when 9/11 happened. The attacks here in the United States. What what did you see on the streets of Lebanon? How did that affect how you felt there? Um, so it was about two thirty in the afternoon, and I'd been in the bookshop, and um, I was leaving to go back home. And I always walk back and forth. Every time you walk, and there is like about maybe ten, fifteen places where I stop every time to say hi to people. You cannot walk through the town and not say hi. And when they say how hi, many, they don't. How many cups of tea was that? Yeah, and they don't say hi. They say, "How's your wife? How is your health?" How's your family back home? How how and they they've got like a list of ten questions every time they ask the same question. It's a way of saying you know like I here care about you. to understand being in the Arab world, people are very friendly and intimate. It's a, it's a great place to live, actually. You know, I mean, I know some people will go they don't believe it, but that's the truth. At that time, September 11th, there was a Filipino mountain that was about to blow. And I was thinking, oh, you know, this must be a volcano. That this, that this volcano is blowing, and they're all watching it. But why would they watch it? And then I was walking along, and I could see as a building. Bonnie and I had gone to Manhattan just before we went to Lebanon. We love New York, you know. And and then um, I ran across the street. I was like, I saw what it was. I ran across. My heart was pounding to this kind of internet cafe where everyone's hanging out and they're all playing first-person shooter games, you know, like all the kids. And that's that was my people that I was sharing my faith with and, you know, doing life with. And there was a TV and there's probably about 60 people all looking at this TV and seeing these images. And I tell you, my heart just... I ran across the street again up towards my house, and there's a, a shop there. And uh, and my friend said, Gary! And they're all happy. Everyone's happy. And and he was going, is this good or is this bad? You know, like this, you know? And uh, and then his mom was there, also happy, but saying, of course this is bad, you know? But now for us in the West, we might look at it and go, that's just evil, you know? But actually, I think there's a genuine innocence. Uh, like if if you heard right now uh, some tower was knocked down in Damascus, you go, well, you know, it's not doesn't really affect us. Right. Sorry for them. And um, of course, it's significantly larger. I mean, thousands of people died. But they could actually put it down to that kind of naivety. Mm-hmm. It's, and, a, it's and, a long way from here. I mean, yeah, or even like if you're at war – you know, your enemy is your enemy, and if they get hurt, you celebrate. Um, but it became very I, – I, I ran up to – we lived in an apartment, on a, a nine-story apartment. We were on the seventh floor looking right onto the sea. It's fantastic. And um, we ran up, and then Bonnie was just sitting there looking at the TV, weeping. And as I walked in, the second plane hit that second oh, tower. Wow. As I walked in – and I tell you, it freaked me out. I mean, really. Uh, and then I started hearing cars honking up and down the street and all through the night. I mean, people in convoys of cars uh, honking and throwing candy. And, you know, it was, a, it was a time. I mean, we were getting phone calls saying, do not leave your house. So how did you and Bonnie 
get through that, deal with that idea that, okay, should we go out? Should I go to the bookstore tomorrow or should I stay home? Should I just stay in my apartment and try to be safe? How did you kind of work through, well, wait a minute, God's called us here, so we need to keep doing the work? Yeah, it's a really important question to ask, you know, um, what do you do in that situation? And and the truth is, it's like if you're not ready to suffer with people, not just suffer with maybe the church, but also suffer with the people you want to love and reach. If you're not ready for that, really, you, you you have no message for them, you know. And 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 I say that's a very difficult one. You know, people said, "Oh, you should leave now." You know, it's getting really dangerous. And and we prayed together, and we just said, "We're here." And at that time, in the next day or two after September 11th, we both said, "We are going to be willing to die for these people now. We're going wow. to be willing to die for them." And I think actually. Had you thought that beforehand? Had, no. When you went there, did you think, you know, it's possible bad things could happen, we could be killed here, or did that never really even... The, the, I mean, it didn't sink from your head to your heart, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that, uh, no, in the moment of uh, of looking at the reality of where we're at, and I think we were martyred on that day. Interesting. But both of you didn't, neither one of That's you. That's a very hard thing to, I don't know if I've even said that before. And I mean, I don't say that in a trite way. But I think that at that point we go, no, we're not, we're not budging from this because these people need to hear the gospel, the message of Christ, that it's for them too. And there is a family that they are all invited to. None of us deserve Christ. None of us deserve him. And actually, long before the gospel was in London that I got to hear, hundreds and hundreds of years before the gospel was in Europe, it was there in Sidon. Uh, in fact, Jesus himself was there. And, uh, and I, I believe that it is the mandate of the church to not bring the religion but bring to them, bring the message Jesus. of of Jesus, and and uh, so, and then I would just, yeah, it, it was at that moment. I just said, yeah, we're we're ready, and you know, I had a friend who's a pastor. You know, he said, you know, you guys probably should leave. They're supporting us. I said, no, it's not time to leave at all. What What did you say? How did you answer those questions? Because I imagine a lot of maybe even your families were like, you know, maybe maybe just for a few months, come come on home for a few months, let's let things settle down. Was that ever a temptation, or did you feel like, nope, we've counted the cost, we're here? Yeah, exactly. And I, um, I, and I think beyond that, it exposes how much prejudice we have against people of another faith. And that's, um, I would say that, that prejudice is one of the great evils of, uh, you know, it, it, it exposes itself in, in a difficult situation. And then the question is, and it's actually on my book, you know, is what you're living for worth dying for? And if you're not willing to die for something, is it really worth living for? And I'm forced, it doesn't mean, you know, I love to snowboard. You know, I'm not going to die for snowboarding. You know, I wouldn't want to die for snowboarding. I don't want to die for playing f- soccer, you know, football. It's not everything has to be like you're going to die for this. But I think that I want to, you know, if if life is a limited period of hours, right, years, but it's you can you can you can enumerate it, and just say I want to invest it really well, you know, and um, and if it's cut short, I want it to be cut short in the full joy of doing something worthwhile, you know, so. 
that's the way our brains, uh, you know, our hearts were driven in that moment. After 9-11 and after that decision, did your did your ministry change at all, or was it basically the same? Did you sense a new kind of resolve in your spirits, or was it just basically like it was before, except you'd made this decision? I just think people liked us being there, and I think that they go, oh, they, you know, there was also a uh, Palestinian uprising politically, and there were a lot of my friends. I mean, they were like really good friends, you know. I mean, I liked hanging out with them. They're my friends. And yeah, I think they so they the, appreciated the people they, there understood that you could have left. It would have made sense for you to leave in some ways. No, I don't think so. I don't think that they would say it makes sense for you to leave. Why would we leave? It's not about us, you know. Um, but the people there appreciated the fact here are these Americans uh, or English citizen and an American. They've stayed here. Yeah. I mean, the issue at that time, and you have to kind of re-enter history at that moment, is then the reaction is the beginning of the Iraq war and actually dealing with Afghanistan. You know, like mm-hmm. the, So what's happening is in the Middle East is a, a politically charging up of people. And so there's hostility within people's political dialogue. In Israel, uh, amongst Hezbollah, amongst um, Palestinians, amongst the Syrians, you know, everyone, everyone's got an opinion. Everyone, uh, what happened in Syria? I was going to Syria and sharing my faith, and then uh, I remember one time in Damascus, the guy goes, "You know what my problem is?" And I said, no, "I have no idea. What's your problem?" He goes, "We're axis of evil." George Bush had said that, and then he just said. We're access. It's like a, he actually felt condemned and shamed by that. Now, I'm not trying to say my political opinion here. I'm not at all. It's, I'm just saying what they felt, right. what they were saying. Well, and the perception there is America is a Christian country. So all the people there are Christians. They're invading Afghanistan. It's yep. a Muslim country. So you have the Christians invading the Muslims. Yep. And, and that's how they process that those and even the, their their uh, limited understanding is much more of a kind of a crusader language, you know, like the crusaders are coming back. And when the tanks were going across the desert there in Iraq, for example, the imagery of, you know, a few hundred tanks heading towards Baghdad, they would – they their perception is crusaders are coming and wow. we've got to arm up, you know. Yeah, and which we don't even think that way. I mean for us, we can't. We don't understand that that's what's going on in their hearts and in their minds, so maybe we don't always respond like we should. Gary will be back next week to tell us about the day Bonnie gave her life for Christ and how God ministered to him even amidst the grief and the loss of those days. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.